Genesis chapter 29. We're going to see the providence of God in the life of Jacob as he makes his way 550 miles to the village of Haran. And by Jacob's own testimony, as he enters into that place where he's been sent to find a wife, the only thing that he has with him, he says, he crosses over Jordan with only his staff in his hand. He had nothing with him. So it must have been a pretty brutal solo journey through the desert, as I try to imagine it. He went uh, 550 miles approximately from Beersheba to Haran with a staff through the desert, running for his life from his brother, knowing that he had deceived his own father in order to receive the blessing of God. And so on foot through the desert country today, he will finally come to the place where he has been sent, and we will see that the Lord was with him as he went there. So I'm going to read Genesis chapter 29 this morning, and we'll talk about it and see how this might apply to our lives as well. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And look, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of the well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, it is well, and see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. I don't know why it says mother's brother, not uncle, but there you go. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father, her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to them, Surely you are the bone of my, my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What, what is this you've done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? 
Why have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete this week, and we will give you the other also in return for another seven years. Jacob did so. He completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be his servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked on my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. She conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore his name is called Judah. Then she ceased bearing. So this is the beginning of the story of Laban. I mean, well, it is Laban, but it also is the story of Jacob as he enters Haran to stay with his uncle Laban for 14 plus years. Serve him in order that he might find the wife or wives, as we see here, that his mother Rebekah and his father Isaac had sent him to find. The first thing we need to see here in this text is that the Lord does bring Jacob safely to Haran. And we can't help but see this journey that Jacob takes in order to get there reminiscent of the, of the journey that Abraham's servant had taken to find Isaac's wife. The Lord guided them both right to the exact place where they need to be and perhaps even to the same well. Remember the servant of Abraham comes to the well and he realizes he's in the right place and he plays, prays, God, uh, please let my journey be successful for the sake of your servant Abraham. The first woman that comes up and says, hey, let me water draw you water and water for the camels, let that be the one. And by the providence of God, while he was still speaking, Rebekah showed up. And now here, through the actions of Jacob, we see that God is with him the exact same way. He comes to the well, and he says, where are you guys from? They said, Haran. And look, after 550 miles in the desert, I bet you he was pretty excited. And he says, Haran, you heard of Laban? He's like, yeah, we know Laban. And here comes Rachel, his daughter. Now, Jacob is pretty excited, no doubt about it, because he says, hey, why don't y'all go ahead and take the lid off this well and start getting to work watering your flocks. And like, we can't. We, it's a big rock, and we got to wait till everybody gets here so we can move it off. And uh, the minute Rachel shows up, Jacob just flips the stone off the well himself. He must have been pretty excited to see her so that he can water the flock. Now, there's a reversal here. Jacob acts like Rebecca did. He is watering the flock, whereas Rebecca had watered the camels for the servant. One of the differences is that because of Jacob's haste to leave, he doesn't have anything. Remember the servant of Abraham came. He had like gold. He gave Rebecca a gold earring and a gold nose ring and a bunch of other gifts. Jacob's got nothing. So he's going to have to work, as we will see. So there's a big family reunion. And Laban embraces Jacob as his nephew. And Jacob stays there for a month. Now this is kind of, you got to read between the lines here. If you're Laban, and here comes your nephew out of nowhere, and he's just kind of sitting around the house for a month, what, 
okay, is this guy ever going home? What's the deal? So when Laban asked him, what are your wages going to be? The implied thing is, hey, man, you just can't sit around the house all day, okay? You're going to work, and when you work, what are your wages going to be? And this is Jacob's big chance, and he says, I will work seven years for Rachel, your daughter, which is what he came to the land to do in the first place. Now, what does that have to do with us? Well, first of all, this. No matter where Jacob goes, as we will see throughout these texts, the Lord is with him everywhere. Everywhere he goes. He winds up in Haran right by the well, and while he's still talking to the men, here comes Rachel who will be his future wife. There is no doubt that in every single thing that Jacob does, the Lord is guiding him. And we as the people of God, as the inheritors of the promises of Abraham, as the inheritors of the promises of Jacob, we can know full well that God will also be with us wherever we go. And so one thing I would like for you to do this morning is to think about where you are and where you've been. And think about this, whether or not God has been with you everywhere you've gone and brought you to this place where you are today so that you can live for Him and praise Him for all the years that you have had where the Lord has served you well. As I said last week, I know for a fact that God will never abandon or leave His children and on your deathbed, whenever that might be, you can say that the Lord has been with you all the way, truly. I can't help but think of things that have happened to me in my life. Uh, the Lord has been so faithful and kind to me. Has He not been to you? I remember when I went to uh, seminary. <laughs> this is so crazy. I went to seminary and I had an S10 pickup truck that did not even have an air conditioner in it. It's not that the air conditioner didn't work. It did not have one in it. I called it my roller skate because that's about how big my S10 pickup was. And I had a toolbox in the back. You know, you've seen those. I had a toolbox in the back of an S10 pickup truck that already the back end of it was like a roller skate, so like half of it's taken up by this, this uh, toolbox. And I literally fit everything I owned in the back of that truck with room to spare. <laughs> the thing I had that I was most proud of was a dorm fridge. So excited to have a dorm fridge and about two sets of clothes. And by the time I, was, I left there, I, I served the Lord there in seminary five years for a wife. <laughs> I had a family by the time I left and an education and a job. And when we left, this, you can ask my wife about this testimony. I, came, I crossed over Jordan with a pickup truck and a dorm fridge. And when I left, we filled up a third of a moving truck and, and I had a Toyota Tundra by then. This, this thing had a real long bed on it. And we thought, after we'd packed all these boxes, well, we'll just pick up the rest after they're gone because we were rushed and hurried. And we had so much stuff left that we filled up the back of that Tundra and we had to start giving stuff away. We had so much stuff. The Lord has blessed me. Has he been with you? He has been with me. As surely as he was with his servant Jacob to this day, to this day, he has honored every promise to Abraham, to me, and he will to you as well. Think about where you've come from and where you are now. Has not the Lord been with you and guided your steps to this day? And will he not continue to do so? Now that's the good news. Let's talk a little bit about 
the bad news, if you, if you want to call it that. So Jacob sees his chance with his uncle Laban. And he says, I will serve you seven years for your daughter Rachel. And Laban says, that sounds like a deal. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you work seven years for my daughter. Why should I give her to another man? So Jacob does that. He serves for seven years, but there's a trick. He's deceived. Look in verse 25. And in the mo morning, behold, it was Leah. He worked seven years for Rachel. Now this is a weird part in the passage. How he thought this was Rachel and not Leah, I can only explain by... Perhaps Jacob had had a little bit too much to drink at his wedding ceremony. Maybe it was really dark. Maybe she was bailed. Maybe they kind of looked vaguely together. I have no idea. But all I know is that when Jacob woke up the next morning, he was in for a big surprise. There was Leah and not Rachel. And Laban's words to him, in you can see it in English, but in Hebrew it is quite obvious. When he says in verse 26... He is cutting Jacob to the quick. He's been with Laban for seven years now, so there's no doubt that by this time Laban knows the story of Jacob. And when he says these words, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. That is a rebuke. If you'll recall, Jacob did a little bit of a switcheroo himself. You remember when Isaac was going to bless Esau, his older boy, and he and Rebekah cook up kind of a scheme in order to steal the blessing from Esau? And Isaac couldn't tell that it wasn't Esau. Instead, it was Jacob. This is exactly what's happened to him. Laban has taken Rachel and he has switched Rachel for Leah and deceived Jacob just as Isaac had been deceived. And when he said, It is not done in our country where the younger usurps the older. He is telling Jacob pointedly, I know what you have done and I have flipped the tables on you. Now let me explain that to us in the providence God. I do not believe, I believe that God had determined that he was going to bless Jacob. I do not believe he blessed the method by which Jacob obtained the blessing. Let me unpack that a little bit more. I think it was sinful for Jacob to deceive his father in such a way. Perhaps they could have reminded him of the prophecy that God had given to Rebekah when she was yet pregnant. Maybe they could have reasoned with him in some other way and it would have worked. But instead they chose the route of deception, but God still honored that blessing. You say, how can that be? Well, if you skip ahead a few years and think of it like this, God had also ordained that Joseph was going to deliver his brothers from starvation by being at the right hand of Pharaoh. However, to get there, Joseph was sold into slavery. Do you think that God holds those brothers guiltless who sold their brother into slavery, even though it was God's plan to deliver them through Joseph's ascendance in Egypt? No, it was still sinful for them to do that. Do you think that when Potiphar's wife lies about Joseph and says that he attempted to uh, rape her, that even though God used the prison to exalt Joseph to the palace, do you think that that woman who lied will go guiltless before the Lord, even though God worked that in his plan? No. Surely she will be held to account for her sin, as would Joseph's brothers. So here, I think, God is demonstrating that just because, and this is a word of caution for us, just because Jacob is the chosen, blessed darling of the Lord, does not mean that while he sins and walks on this earth, that he will his actions will escape the discipline of God. 
And so even though God goes with us as his children, we must know, as the book of Hebrews says, that every single son, every single daughter that God takes as his own will be disciplined by God. And so though Jacob is the blessed of God, that does not mean that his entire path is just going to be a bed of roses. Indeed, he is going to suffer much because of the decisions and the actions that he takes in the scripture. And this passage is telling us, and Laban's pointed words are telling us, that just because you got away with trickery does not mean that that's how we're going to do it here. Now Laban, I think, was also a deceiver, and this was a dirty, rotten trick that he pulled on Jacob as well. In fact, as you go through and read, it's very disappointing. It turns out that everyone we study is sinful. It's very disappointing. And they're not only sinful, but they trick each other. They don't get along well. They're going to lie. I mean, it gets awful. Like, if you think that Isaac and Rebekah and Esau and Jacob's relationships were dysfunctional, wait until we read about Jacob's family. He winds up taking four wives... It's a bad deal. It's bad. You'll see as we get to it. Jacob has God's blessing. God prospers Jacob in all that he does. But just because God prospers Jacob in all that he does does not mean that God has approved of everything that Jacob does. Or that Jacob's actions do not have consequences. Or that every single thing that Jacob tries to do, that means that that particular thing is going to be successful. So two points I want you to walk out of here with for this part. Even though we are God's children, it doesn't mean that everything is going to go our way. And number two, if we sin, we are going to reap what we sow. If we reap sin, we will sow it. If we reap from the flesh, we will reap the flesh. If we reap from the Spirit, we will reap from the Spirit. Just because we are God's children does not mean that He will overlook our sins. I tell people all the time, if we have this idea that God is a kindly grandfather who always has candy in his pockets for us, no matter what we do, we don't understand God well enough. God does love us. He is our Father. But if we have good fathers, they correct us when we sin. And that is what our Father will do. And it burdens my heart when I see people who are claimed to be children of God begin to walk in sin in direct rebellion against Him, thinking, well, God will just forgive me if I do this. If we sin with a high hand against the Lord, I can guarantee you we may do worse than 14 years' labor in Laban's house. When David sinned, Psalm 51 records it. Remember, he took Uriah's wife to be his own after he had committed adultery with her and after he had murdered her husband. In the Psalm 51, when he says, Against you and you only have I sinned, one of the, the supplications he makes to God, one of the things that really gets me. And I think about the folks when they sin with a high hand against the Lord. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Of all the things in the psalm, I think that one hits me the hardest. To think that we could lose the joy of our salvation for the fleeting pleasure of sin. And if you remain in sin, you will not know the joy of salvation. You will grieve the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit said, or Jesus said to Paul when he was converted on the road to Damascus, it's tough for you to kick against the goads, isn't it, Paul? And he was speaking of uh, the oxen whenever they wouldn't want to plow. They had these stickers behind them. So if they started kicking, it would poke them so that the guy plowing wouldn't get kicked or wouldn't mess up the yoke. 
He told Paul, it's difficult for you to kick against the goads. And if we walk in sin, our time will not be spent with joy. And in fact, there's so much trauma and trouble in Jacob's life because of the decisions he makes. When he goes to die, he says these sad words, My years have not been as long and they've been difficult compared with my father's. Jacob has a rough life even though he is blessed of the Lord. And one of the tragic things too we see in this passage is that Laban has set up this house for dysfunction by giving Leah instead of Rachel whom he had worked for. Verse 31, I'm sorry, verse 30 says, So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban another seven years. In verse 31 it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Now I want to talk to you about Hebrew idioms. A little minute, because it's important these things pop up in other places. When it says here that Leah was hated, it does not mean that Jacob despised Leah. It means that his love for her compared to his love for Rachel was as if she was hated. Jesus said the same thing. He used this sort of expression when he said, unless you hate your mother and your father and your sister and your brother, then you can't have a part of the kingdom of God. He doesn't mean that we literally have to despise them. He means that in comparison with our love for him. So it was clear that Jacob here had a favorite wife. He loved Rachel more than Leah, and he didn't pay attention to Leah. Now, he must have been paying some attention to Leah because the woman had four boys. That, <laughs> at some point, they were getting along. Four boys she has. And I want you to look at this, and I want to learn something from Leah and her birth and, and how, how she was and see the Lord's kindness to her. When he saw that she was hated, he opens her womb, and the first voice she says... She says, verse 32, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. That's very sad. It's pitiful. She's had this boy and she says, Now that I've borne him a son, there can be an inheritor from him. Remember, Isaac and Abraham, they didn't have this luxury. They didn't have boys. Their, their, children, their wives were barren for a while. Leah says, I've borne him a son. Now he will love me. But things don't get better. Because when she has the second son, verse 33, she conceived again. She says, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. So she's still struggling with the fact that her husband doesn't love her. Then she has Simeon. Again she bore a son and said, this time my husband will be attached to me, for I have borne him three sons, and he will be called Levi. She says, look, I've had three boys, now my husband's going to love me. By the fourth one, she's learned a lesson. She conceived again and bore a son. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. And so the word I think that we should have from Leah here today is, is good for all of us. We need to find our value and our center of being in the Lord. Because if Leah, and Jacob was wrong, he was simple. His whole setup is simple. It's a recipe for disaster. If Leah looked for her happiness to Jacob, she would have always been miserable. She would, even if Jacob had been the most attentive husband in the world, it would still be a recipe for disaster. She would never have found fulfillment in him. She gets it right when she says, this time I will praise the Lord. All of our worth, all of our who we are, everything that we hope for, all of our dreams, everything are found in Christ the Lord and nowhere else. We cannot find fulfillment 
and love and acceptance and joy anywhere else except in Christ. And I see this all the time, not only in my life, but also in the lives of others, especially young folks who constantly look. And I think, now people say our day is always the worst, right? So I'm going to go ahead and act like an old man and say this is the worst. And I'm going to tell you why I think this is the worst, because we've got social media now. We've never had that before. Never. And so our teenagers, our young people, even us, every single day are being bombarded by what they should be, what they should believe, how they should act, what they should dress like. There is constant, unremitting, complete pressure on young people to conform to the image of the world such like we have never seen before. That's a fact. If they, and you and I, and even adults, swept up in it. Last week was a, I'm not going into it, but it was a train wreck of horror. And all I could think of is this. We, we are not finding our identity in Christ. We are not. What we should be doing is that Rachel with the fourth boy says, this time I will praise the Lord. Some trust in chariots. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. This is where we put our hope. This is who we are. Don't forget who you are. I had a friend in school. He, he married a, he, he did good. He married a, a lady and every time, she, her testimony was every time she left the house when her father would tell her bye, he always said, don't forget whose you are. And he didn't mean mine. He meant the Lord's. Don't forget whose you are. Don't forget who you are. And if we do not find our identity in Christ, and if our everything is not directed towards praise of the Lord, we are going to be a miserable people. We will never stand fast against the tide that comes. I wish we could learn this lesson. Where to find our worth and our contentment? It must be in the Lord. So what we see here in this passage today is that the Lord is faithful to Jacob. He is faithful to him. Despite all of the things that he goes through and all of the sins and mistakes that Jacob made, the Lord is with him every step of the way. And that will be Jacob's testimony all of his life. And the Lord will be with you wherever you go. The grace of our Lord will be with you wherever you go. However, that does not mean that our life is going to be easier, that we will not reap what we sow. God will let us reap what we sow. So it does not mean it will always be easy. But remember this, no matter what occurs, our identity and everything that we are are in Christ. We are His, and He is ours. He is the fountain of our joy, the, the object of our hope. Everything that we have is in Christ. So when everything else makes you feel lousy, you feel like nobody loves you, you're not cool, you're not awesome, you've not achieved, whatever it might be, remember this, the Lord loves you and accepts you just as you are and he will never leave you or forsake you and you are beloved, more beloved than 10,000 worlds. Listen, that's who we are. And when everything else is there, that is the rock upon which we can stand. Everything else as the hymn writer says, is sinking sand. Trust the Lord. Stand fast on Him. He will be faithful to you just as He is Jacob. So you read this narrative about Jacob. You see what a wretched man he is. He's sorry. He's a deceiver. His uncle's no better and his neither is his mama. 
Isaac wouldn't listen to the prophecy of God and tried to bless his firstborn. Esau's a lousy scoundrel. He was going to murder his brother. There are no good people in this story. Except one. And that's God. He's the hero of this book. From first to last. Let us all worship then the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who delivers us from all our troubles. Let's pray.